We're hurting and despairing, wrestling with life in a culture opposed to Jesus. Storm clouds are mounting on the horizon as marginalization increases. We need hope, reminders of what is true, instructions for how to persevere. We must remain resilient. You know, at some point in your life, um, and maybe you're there today, at some point in your life, you're going to have a situation where you're not really sure where God is. You're going to be in a season, you're gonna, and it may, be, it may be financial, that may be for you, you're just, you're just continually spinning your wheels financially, and you're wondering why, why does it never get better? Why does it never move forward? Maybe for you, maybe it's faith. Maybe you've prayed for something, you've asked God for something that he's just said no to. He's just not answered it all the way that you expected him to. Maybe for you, it's just a sense of loneliness that you have, that you just, you long to be married, you long to have community, you long to have friendships. Maybe, maybe you are married and you just thought it would be different than what it is. You know, but, but you're in this season where nothing seems to be going the way that you thought it would go. I, I remember for Katie and I, um, we were in that season before we moved here. So for several years in Tucson, we were just frustrated, we, we just didn't really like where we were anymore. We were in this kind of dry spiritual season. And, we, and ironically, we lived in the desert. And so we would spend countless hours walking and hiking out in the desert and, and just asking God, like, why can't, why won't you move us to where we want to be? Why won't this happen? Why, why is it that we're so frustrated and, and, we, and we don't really like our jobs? We don't really like where we're at. We don't really like what we're doing. And no matter how much frustration we had, no matter how much we asked God, no matter how many times we just looped that desert behind our house, nothing changed. At least that's what it seemed like. It seemed like nothing changed. And, and I remember just being really, really frustrated about it all and, and having this, this sense of, is God really good if he doesn't change my circumstances? Is God really good if he doesn't do what I want him to do? Is God really good if he didn't give me the life that I thought I should have? Is God really good when my kid doesn't follow Jesus or I lose my job or I get that phone call from the doctor? Is God really good in that situation? See, and this gets into the place and the interplay of how we trust God and how we believe that God is actually with us. And, and there's so much packed into trusting God because you and I trust God, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you and I trust God largely based off of how we've experienced other relationships in life. So if you've been betrayed by people, abandoned by people, you've been stabbed in the back by people, often we will go to God and just expect him to do the exact same thing. We'll just expect him to not be there for us. We'll struggle to believe. A lot of this has to do with how you were raised in your family of origin. The relationship you have with your parents is often how reflected in how you believe about God. See, and in the book of Daniel, one of the things that we see in the life of Daniel is how to trust God when life doesn't go the way we expected. See, and in this series, we've called it resilient because resiliency is the ability to bounce back from difficulty. And Daniel's life, if, if you've not been here, so let me give you a quick recap. Daniel grew up in royalty. Okay, he was part of the royal family of Israel. 
And then Israel was conquered by the superpower of the day, Babylon, and Daniel and his friends were taken to the capital city of Babylon. And they were educated, they lost all of their family, they lost all of their relationships, their names were changed so they lose their identity. And Daniel dies in Babylon. Daniel never gets home. He never gets back. And so I'm sure there was some well-meaning person that said, hey, Daniel, like, just keep your head up. Like, you know, it's all going to work out in the end. Like, God's with you. Like, it's okay. Like, it's all going to work out. I'm sure, I'm sure at some point Daniel prayed that. And yet, it didn't play out or work out the way that Daniel thought it would. But in Daniel, in each one of the chapters, there's a simple message that I think is so, so important as we think about this this idea of trusting God with today. See, in Daniel chapter one, the message that God communicates to his people is, I remember you. Which is interesting because Daniel had just been taken into exile. He's just been taken as a slave. And Daniel one, God says, Daniel, I remember you. I have not forgotten you. And this is so important because one of the reasons you and I fail to trust God one of the reasons you and I fail to fall into the arms of God is because we think he forgot us. We think he forgot us. We think that he just left us. And some of us right now, like you're in a place where you wonder, like, do I, do I keep praying? Do I keep asking God for this? Does he even remember my name? Like you feel forgotten in your life. And not just with God, but with other people. And Daniel 1, God says, I, I remember you. And this morning, I want you to hear this, each one of these messages from these five chapters in Daniel, God remembers you. God remembers you. When you pray, God remembers you. When you cry out, when you lay in bed at night and just watch that clock blinking and just think in the darkness, God remembers you. See, in Daniel chapter two then, God assures his people, I will rescue you. I will rescue you. See, one of the things that that we see in the life of Daniel is that no matter how dark it gets, No matter how impossible it seems, rescue is possible. And in rescuing us, what we see in Daniel's life and we see all throughout scripture is that God doesn't rescue us by us going to God, but God rescues us by coming to us. Like we don't have to go out and find God. We have this idea that I have to go find Jesus, that I, you know, like somehow he's lost in the wilderness somewhere. Like God comes to us. God comes to us and rescues us. And then in Daniel chapter three, you remember a few weeks ago when we, we talked about this incredible story of, of Daniel's friends being thrown into the fiery furnace and the presence of God saying, I am right here with you. I am right here with you. See, do you see this progression? We feel alone and God says, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I haven't forgotten you. I will rescue you. I'm with you. Because what do we expect after rescue? We expect it to just automatically get better. Right? Rescue and redemption has got to be like rainbows and roses right away, right? It's got to be the easy path right away, but God doesn't always take us on the easy path right after rescue. There might still be some darkness. There might still be some wilderness. There might still be some desert left. There might still be some silence from God left after rescue. And he says, I am here with you. And then in chapter four, we hear this message of I restore the humble. I restore the humble, the ones who just throw themselves on the mercy of God, the ones who just say, I cannot, I cannot handle this myself anymore. I cannot, I cannot carry myself anymore. I cannot, I cannot carry everybody else's stuff anymore. Some of you right now, 
And I do this. I'm really good at doing this. Katie reminds me all the time. She's like, that's not really yours to carry. I'm really good at like picking up everybody else's stuff. I'm really good at like feeling everybody else's, you know, disappointment. Part of humility is not carrying the things that you're not supposed to carry. And some of us right now, we don't trust God enough with today and tomorrow because we're just carrying stuff for him. We're carrying stuff for our kids. Teenagers, maybe you're carrying something for your friends, and it's not yours to carry. It doesn't mean you don't care. It just means it's not yours to carry. And then we wonder, in Daniel 5, we looked at last week how God speaks. And this message of Daniel 5, when the arrogant King Belshazzar does not learn his lesson, God's loving promise of I judge the proud. See, all this is the backdrop. Because what we see in Daniel, especially chapters one through six, is that God is with us. That God is over all things. And one of the reasons that we, that we fail to trust God with today is because we're not sure if God is in control and if God is with us. And so because of this, I mean, it's the theme of every single chapter in Daniel, in the book of Daniel. It, it is the theme. And so in Daniel six, we meet the third king that's named. There's potentially, according to historians, five to six kings that live through the book of Daniel. And Daniel lives through all of them. Daniel gets to experience all of these different kings. And finally, we meet Darius. Now, Darius is the one, he's the, he's the Persian king who at the end of chapter five conquered Babylon. So now there's a new superpower, okay? Now there's a new superpower, but, but here's what's interesting. This king, we're told, has 120 satraps, which is, you know, the administrators, the magicians, the wise men, and there are three officials over all of these men, and one of them is Daniel. One of them is Daniel. Now, if you remember last week, I talked about how Daniel was forgotten, how Daniel, you know, the King Belshazzar just totally forgot and just let go of Daniel. Now, here's Daniel. Daniel, at this point, is, is in his 80s, and he finally has power. Now, I don't know if he like set out to have power. I don't know if he set out to have influence. But here's what's really important, and it's so important as we think about our lives. Because the older we get, the more we feel like our opportunity has just passed us by. See, and one of the most important things for us to remember that we see in the life of Daniel is that when we are faithful, our last mile can actually be our best mile. Okay, so here's Daniel. He's in his 80s. He has been taken from his home as a teenager. None of the dreams that he had for his life have happened. None of the goals, none of the ways that he expected things to go. And we're told, in fact, that he has had such influence that King Darius planned to set Daniel over the whole realm to give him even more power which, as we're gonna see in Daniel 6, actually led to a whole bunch of jealousy of the people around him. Because remember, he's not Babylonian, he's not Persian, he's an Israelite. He's a prisoner of war, he's an exile. He's not like us. And so they get mad. But we're told that Daniel has an extraordinary spirit and it distinguished him from other people. Now don't miss this, this is so important. 
Because as we're going to see the relational tension between Daniel and the other officials, and as you think about relational tension that you have with people in your life, because this is a big part, relational tension is a big part of why we struggle to trust God and believe that he's good. Never forget, somebody's character will always show in the end. Somebody's character will always show in the end. And at the end of Daniel 6, we see the character of Daniel, and we see the character of the people who come against him. And so the other officials look for a way to trap Daniel, to discredit him. And so they start to look like, you know, are there any, like, payouts, any deals, any ways that we can, like, try to take him down? And they can't find anything. They can't find anything. And so they go to the king. It says in verse 6, the administrators, the satraps, went together to the king and said to him, may King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed, notice it says all, okay, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. So all of the administrators, which would include Daniel. So Daniel's either there or they did it without him. I think Daniel's there. I think Daniel's standing there. This says all. So they go, and they play to his vanity. They're saying, no one can pray to anybody but you. Now, this sounds, this sounds great, right? Like, what could go wrong with this? I mean, just think, if you were the king and someone came in and said, you know, I mean, just imagine your parent, you know, your kids come in and say, hey, you know what, like, we're just gonna, we're gonna clean every single day. What are you gonna do? What are you up to? Like, what are you trying to get? Like, when your kids come in and they're like, Dad, Mom, you're the best. Like, I love you. Like, you're the greatest parent. And we're like, how much do you want? <laughs> the king doesn't think of that. He, I don't know if he doesn't think that, like, people are, like, buttering him up. But he says, yeah, that'd be great. So the king signs it. See, here's what's fascinating to me. Is that Daniel doesn't stop it. Daniel has the influence to say something. Daniel has the power to say something. Daniel is right there in the throne room. He is one of the three most powerful people in the kingdom. And he doesn't stop it. And we're told then in verse 10 that seemingly some days passed because when Daniel learned that the document had been signed. See, this is fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me what Daniel does and doesn't do in the book of Daniel. It's absolutely fascinating because we would think, man, why didn't he step in? Why didn't he say something? Notice Daniel has yet to speak in Daniel chapter 6. He has yet to say a word, okay? He has yet to do anything. He's just seemingly there. And we would wonder, like, I, I look at Daniel and I, and I wonder, would we look at Daniel in our culture today of not saying anything and having all that power and be like, man, do you, like, you have a soft faith. Like, why aren't you influencing the people in power, Daniel? You're right there. Because we have this idea, and this is really important. We have this idea. We put so much stock. We put so much stock in power in our culture. So much stock in who has authority. We put so much stock in, in politics or who's on the, you know, the, the, the PTA board and who's on the HOA board and who's on this board. We put so much stock in that. 
We put so much stock in what we can post on social media, so much stock in, you know, what we can send out to people. Daniel doesn't do any of that. See, what Daniel has is a quiet faith. See, there's a strength required to quiet faith. There's a strength required to quiet faith that I don't think loud faith requires. See, a quiet faith doesn't do nothing. A quiet faith doesn't just sit there and take it. But a quiet faith knows where power actually resides. Okay, we we look for power in all kinds of ways. Okay, I want you to think for a moment. Here's where power resides in your life. You ready? Think about the last time you were disappointed. The last time you were disappointed. Do you know why you were disappointed? Because you gave power to that person. You gave power to to that group of people. If you've been disappointed in a friendship, it's because you gave power to that friend. Been disappointed in government, you gave power to them. Same with parents. If you ever been disappointed in your child, you gave power to them. See, I wonder, because here's this tension that I feel, especially in our culture, in this, in this cultural moment right now. In this cultural moment, it, it's required of us to have an opinion about everything. It's required of us to speak out about everything. And if you don't speak out about everything, then obviously, like, you, you just, you're not passionate. You don't, maybe you're not like a, a biblical Christian. But, it, but it notice, of all the things that we have seen in these six chapters of Daniel, what has Daniel spoken out against? Do you remember? It's only one thing. Food. The food. He's only spoken out about the food that was offered to the Babylonian idols. Nothing else. So when they say, hey, king, let's sign a law so that everybody has to pray to you, what does Daniel do? Look at the rest of verse 10. Daniel goes back to his house with the windows open upstairs towards Jerusalem Three times a day, he gets down on his knees and prays and thanks God just like he has done before. So when we look at Daniel, we're like, man, why don't you say something? Like, why don't you jump in and do something? Daniel goes, I'm just going to go back home and I'm going to pray like I do every day. Now, here's the tension, okay? Like, on the one side, on the spiritual side, we're like, yeah, Daniel, like, way to go. Like, that's on the other side, there's a part of us in our culture that goes, should you do more? Is that enough? Because if we don't believe that that's enough, then that is a sign that we don't believe that God's power is enough. Now, this isn't to say, this isn't to say at all that as a follower of Jesus, you totally disengage from the public square and do absolutely nothing. That doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that as a follower of Jesus that you don't move into places of influence. It does not mean that at all. But what it does mean, and it echoes in in the book of Romans when the Apostle Paul says, all the authority over us, all the government, all the superintendents, all the schools, all the bosses, every authority in your life has been placed there by God. Okay? So when we go, I don't know that 
God put that person in power. No, he did. Yeah, but I just don't know God's plan. That's okay. Yeah, but I would put somebody else in power. That's cool. You're not God. Like, this is a hard tension for us to navigate. But what it's showing us is it's showing where we believe power actually resides. And we have this idea that power is somehow outside of God's realm. And Daniel goes, hey, you can sign that. I'm literally just going to go back to my room and pray. Like, I don't care what you sign. I'm just going to do whatever I do every single day. And not only did he do that, everybody knew. Okay? Look at verse 11. Then the men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. Which is so fascinating to me. They knew what his practices were. They knew what his practices were. See, if you want to know what builds a resilient faith, I love what John Eldred says. He says, resilient faith is built in our daily practices. Resilient faith is built in our daily practices. Now think about your daily practices. Do they build a resilient faith? You scrolling through social media in your bed before you even get out of bed, does that build a resilient faith? The last time you got to work and you were listening to that political show on the way to work, did that build a resilient faith? You might think, I've really built my like angry prayer life. No, but think about it, your, your daily practices. Here's the thing, the people around you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you just, like, you can listen in on this one. The people around you, they know you as a follower of Jesus, they know what your daily practices are. They know, they know what your spiritual practices are. They're watching. Like, I love that we have kids and students that are here in the, in the worship with us, I love that when they get to be there with their families. But here's the thing, parents, can I tell you something? If you don't worship Jesus the other six days of the week when you get here with your kids, they just think you're hypocrites. Like, they know what your daily practices are. Like, like they know. My kids know. They, they, know what, they know what I'm like. You know what I'm really frustrated? They, they know. They know if it lines up with what I have to say. Are your daily practices building a resilient faith? that can withstand whatever life throws at you. Daniel goes back, he doesn't hide it, he opens his windows, and notice this, he doesn't do it in public. He doesn't say, hey, I'm gonna go stand on a street corner and pray, so that way everybody sees it. I just wanna make sure everybody sees that I'm actually praying. No, he just goes home and prays. He doesn't do, you know, maybe you did this, I, I've done this before, like when I was, first began following Jesus, like I'm praying for my meal, like I drop my napkin, and be like, dear Jesus, thank you for this food, amen. Like I didn't want anybody to see me bowing my head. to laugh. You've done it. It's cool. We're in church. We can like give grace to each other. But do your daily practices build resilient faith? Here's how you know. This past week when life fell apart for you, did you fall back on the power of God or did you fall back on your ability to strategize and find a way out? Did you fall back on your feelings or did you fall back on the power of God? Could Daniel have changed the king's mind and stopped this edict? Maybe. But he didn't try. He just went back and prayed. And so then these men, as they go and they see, they know Daniel prays three times a day. They know he opens his window and prays three times a day. So they just stand there and wait. They're like, you know what? He's just going to do it. Which is so fascinating to me. This is the, like, they're, they think they're putting, like, 
Daniel's faith on trial, but here's the funny thing about it. Is that like, we, we know Daniel's gonna do this. We know this is the man he is. So let me ask you this, if you're a follower of Jesus, do people know that you're the kind of person that has a resilient faith? Do they know that? Like we know when we've been with somebody and we're like, man, that was like being with Jesus. See, these men that catch Daniel are caught up in who has the power and which party is on this side and which party, you know, ha- has this power and which party has the house and who's in charge of, the, uh, of, you know, nominating this judge. And Daniel just says, hey, I'm just gonna go back and pray. Which is really instructive for us. And so then they come to the king and they say, hey, um, king, verse 12, didn't you sign an edict? I love how they ask this. Like, didn't you sign an edict for 30 days that any person who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? Like, didn't you do that? Like, I feel like we were here. Did you do that, king? The king answers, yes, as the law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. And then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, not, not Daniel, one of the most powerful people in your kingdom, but Daniel, one of the exiles, He didn't. He ignored it. He ignored you, the king. And the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. And look at the king's response. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Notice again, Daniel has yet to talk. Daniel has yet to talk. I don't know if they brought Daniel in with him, but this is really, really important too as we talk about, as we talk about power and, and how things play out in our lives. Here's the king who puts this order in place, creates this law, and he does not have the power to save Daniel. He does not have the power to go back on his law. See, there is a limit. There's a limit to the power that people have over us. There is, there is a limit. See, and, and the, reason, the reason that power is such a big part of Daniel is because the writer of Daniel wants us to know where power actually resides. I've said this before, in the book of Daniel, the words king or kingdom appear over 150 times, more than any other book in the Bible. In 12 short chapters, 150 times. Because the writer of Daniel wants us to know where power actually sits in our lives. And so then, when life falls apart, when life doesn't go the way that we expected, so we know where to go. And so they bring Daniel in and they throw him in the lion's den. And in verse 16, verse 16, the king says to him, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. See, what's interesting to me is that Darius even knows that Daniel doesn't serve him the way he serves God. The king even knows where Daniel's loyalties lie. We're told then that they locked the den, they put a rock over it, and we're told the king goes back to his palace and he couldn't eat or sleep all night. And then the first thing in the morning, in verse 20, the king runs out and says, Daniel, servant of the living God. Like, he doesn't know if he's still alive. He says, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? 
And Daniel speaks for the first time. He says in verse 21, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they haven't harmed me for I was found innocent before him and also before you, your majesty. I have not done harm. See, here's, here's the really key thing that I don't want us to miss. Sometimes God delivers us and sometimes God is simply with us as we walk through the trial. Like sometimes God takes us out of the trial. Sometimes God takes us out of the job that we hate. Sometimes God actually changes the person that we're asking him to change. And sometimes God is just simply with us as we walk through it. See, God could have, God could have stopped this whole thing. He could have stopped Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. He could have stopped all of that. Daniel didn't get thrown in and think, you know what, I bet you this is going to be a repeat of like chapter 3. Like, you know, I, you know, I heard about chapter three, like God showed up there, I bet you he's gonna do it again. He doesn't know that. I mean, because again, in history, the only people who have been thrown into a lion's den and the only people who've been thrown into a furnace and lived were these four guys. There isn't anybody else. There isn't like, I bet you God's gonna do what he did before. Instead, he goes in and says, I, I, know, where, I know where the power is. And for some of us, here's the thing, for some of us, it is not enough that God is with us in the trial. We only want God to take us out of the trial. And God's answer to your prayer might just be, I'm here. And I'll, I'll be honest, there have been trials in my life where that answer was not good enough for me. There have been times in my life where I've said, no, God, I want more than just you're with me. And yet the promise throughout scripture, Jesus says, don't be surprised when, when troubles come. But no, I am with you. See, sometimes God's deliverance is his presence. Sometimes God's deliverance is just his presence. I want to ask you, as you think about the thing that you're facing right now, if God doesn't take you out of that, if he just gives you his presence, is that enough? Will that be enough? See, that, that's, that's a wrestling of faith for us. If God doesn't heal, will that be enough, that he's just with you? If God doesn't change that situation or that person, will, will that be enough? If God doesn't give you the answer that, that you want, will, will his presence be enough? See, but notice what happens then. See, this isn't, just, this isn't just for Daniel. Look at verse 26. The king, after watching this whole thing unfold, says, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. See, Daniel's faith was not just for Daniel. See, Daniel's faith was also for the king. See, there, there are people, if you're a follower of Jesus, there are people in your life watching how you handle disappointment. 
There are people watching how you handle stress, how you handle anxiousness. There are people watching how you handle difficulty. The people around you are watching because the way that you respond and the faith that you exhibit tells them whether or not you believe God is in control. Tells you whether or not you believe that God is with you. They're they're watching. They're watching. And the king's watching Daniel. The king's watching. How does he handle this? Because of all this, as it unfolds, the king believes. See, if I could summarize this whole series, Daniel 1 through 6, in one simple truth, it's this. God is over all things and walks with us through all things. God is over all things and walks with us through all things. So on your way in, you got a Connect card. And on there, there's a box that says Next Step Email, and and that's a big deal for us. And if you check that box today, tomorrow we're going to send you an email. It's going to help you to think through, how do I see where God is in my life right now? How do I see where God is in the dark places of my life? How do I see what God's doing in me and around me when I don't understand? But as we close, we're going to sing a song that we've been singing almost every week of this series that reminds us of God's power. And and here's how I want us to, to prepare our hearts to sing it together. I want you to just think for a moment about the, the place, the situation in your life right now that's hard to trust that God is in control. It may be health, it may be finances, it may be a relationship, your marriage, something in your family, a child that doesn't follow after Jesus. Maybe you're a student and you're trying to figure out your future. You're trying to figure out how to, how to handle your friends or your parents. But what, what's the situation in your life right now that's hard to trust that God is with you and that God is in control? And I want to encourage you to just take a moment, just in the quietness of, the, of this place. I want to just give you just 30 seconds. Just to bow your head and just take a moment and just say, God, here's this place, here's this person, here's this thing that's going on, and Help me to believe that you are in control of this and you are with me. Help me to trust that you are good. Help me to trust that you haven't forgotten me. You haven't abandoned me. And maybe maybe for you, one of the prayers I've had to pray over the years is God, help me to be okay with your presence with just your presence and nothing else. God, we all have things in our life, we all have situations and relationships, people, things that we we want changed, we want rescued from, we want to play out differently than they're playing out. Sometimes, God, you you take us out of those places. Sometimes you you rescue us from those things. And sometimes your answer is that you are with us. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to believe that you are over all things and that you walk with us through all things. 
God, I know there's so much disappointment, there's heartache in this room, online. Things we've cried out to for years, things we don't understand. God, I pray right now that your spirit would just pick us up, that you would hold us like a parent holds a child and just said, I'm here. I have not forgotten you. I am with you. And God, in our heads, we know with faith that that's enough. But help us to know in our hearts. Help us to, to know in the darkest, quiet places of our soul that that is enough. God, as we sing this song that we have sung throughout this series that just reminds us that you are solid, you are firm, you are dependable, and you are in control.